0: Well, welcome to all of you here. I don't know how many of you were at the park last week when we didn't meet here, but we met there, and, uh, but what a beautiful, beautiful Sunday afternoon we had, and uh, just really grateful for the many volunteers, uh, and also grateful for how many uh, testimonies and things that happened that just brought glory to God And uh, if you were a visitor and that was your first experience of being a part of LAFC for a morning uh, last week and this is now your first time here, we say welcome to you for uh, now into our building. But if you're here for the first time here at LAFC, we also say welcome to you. Uh, We are a church that is in love with Jesus. We want to become followers of Christ Emulate Christ to our community, and we recognize that is a journey. We're not perfect people, uh, but we're working towards the person who is perfect, and that is Jesus. And, uh, and so last week, uh, we were in Luke chapter 15 for that Sunday where we're talking about uh, the table of the Lord. He was having a meal with a group of people that the religious leaders of that day did not appreciate who he had at the table and where maybe that table was. And and so they were picking at it's like, listen, you shouldn't hang out with those type people. You shouldn't be eating with them. You should be eating with people like them. And uh, what Jesus did in response is really telling it really reveals the heart of God. And that is, he shared three parables, each about something that was lost. And the first one was the lost sheep. And he said, you know, the sheep that was lost, it's like he had a flock. And, and there were 99 of them that were safe and not need of rescue. But there was one that needed rescue. And what did he do? The sheep, the shepherd left that, the, the flock to go get the one that needed rescue. And so he's communicating to these religious leaders like at my table, there are, yes, a lot of people already there, but there are some who are still not there that need to be there. And so he is going after them and, and looking for them. And then his second parable, The Lost Coin, reveals that, you know, not only is he looking for them, he's doing so with great urgency, with great energy. And so he is pursuing us, not just passively, but actively. And then the final one, when he talked about the lost son, is that he went after the son even before the son had an opportunity to confess. That's the heart of God, that he comes to us to change us. We don't go, to, go get ourselves changed before we go to him. No, we go to him so that he can change us. And, and so what we learn from that is that Jesus' table is a welcoming table. And so we welcome you here. We hope that you enjoy as we, we hear from Jesus, but we also hear from his brother James. Uh, and we're gonna be there now. So I'm gonna ask you, to turn your Bible to the book of James. We'll be in James chapter five. If you do not have a Bible our ushers are walking down the aisle now, now and they will provide you one. We also use what is called the version Bible app. If you have that on your phones, you can go in there into the events tab uh, and you'll find LEFC there. Just tap on that and it'll provide all the scripture that we'll be using this morning. We have been in a series out of the book of James since the middle of February and we will end it Uh, here the second week of July. So we're in the final four Sundays of the book of James. And you're going to find that there's been some common themes in the book of James. And we're going to be in one of those common themes today. And so uh, I'm going to read the first verse and I'm going to pause and explain something that happened this past week. So here we go. James chapter 5 verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. I appreciate the laugh because now you can understand what kind of a week I had in preparing for this sermon because James begins in this chapter with saying, listen, you rich people, you need to burst into tears because of the judgment that's coming upon you. Now, if you know anything about James and you've been here as part of this series, you know that James brings up wealth over and over again. And this particular one gets even a little bit more intense. And so I just really struggled preparing this sermon. And I'll have to be honest, typically on a Thursday when I'm doing the final writings of this, I am usually in my office for like two hours at a time and then I'll take a break walk around the building, use the restroom or whatever, and then go back at it. Well, apparently, and I didn't even realize I was doing this, I was getting up like every 15, 20 minutes because Danielle, whose office is next to mine, uh, finally just said, are you okay? Because you're kind of leaving your office a little bit. And I was like, I have to be honest, this message, this text does not inspire me. It is difficult. And then I could see the look on her face and I'm like, she's not gonna be at church on Sunday. I think she is in the room. I don't know. Where are you at, Danielle? Okay, where? Oh, there she is, right up there, yeah. (laughs) Right up there. So Danielle, thanks for coming. You know the labor that I went into for this sermon. And and I did finally was able to settle down into it because I realized that there is an important message for us to hear in this. Of course, it's scripture, it's authority. But to get there, before we can appreciate what is in this text, I wanna read the rest of it and then I'm gonna give you all the points, the texts and verses, the references of where James brings up money. So we read verse one, let's read verse two and following. says, your wealth has rotted and your ma's uh, and ma's have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Boy, this is just getting better You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Okay, so a lot was said there, Uh, but again, the first verse being, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now, let me give you some references that are throughout the book of James. In James chapter one, verses 10 and 11, he speaks to the rich needing to be aware that life is something that is precious. And so we need to be humbly dependent upon God because He doesn't show favoritism in regards to life and death, in regards to our money. So to think that because I'm rich, I might live longer, or that I will get the next day, James reminds us that death shows no favoritism. It comes upon us all, even when we don't expect it. So the rich should be humble, recognizing that they do not know at what point in time they'll meet Almighty God. So they need to be always living in relationship with God in preparation of that. James chapter two, verses one to four. We are told that that we, as a result, because God doesn't show favoritism in regards to money, that we shouldn't show favoritism to someone who's rich. So as to suppose that somebody who has nice houses and nice cars and and dresses better than everybody else as to somehow think that they are more in favor with God than any of the rest of us. That is just not true. We know that there are people that absolutely hate God and are wealthy, and have the nice homes, and have the nice cars, and, and they have the nice clothes. So to think that just because somebody has wealth, that they are favored by God more than someone else, is to misunderstand God. And what he does in that text is say, the poor are even favored by God. And in ch- going on in chapter two, he says that as a result, as rich people, we should actually be more humble than the person who is because the rich person has more to have to work through. They have more to have to work through to keep their heart pure before God because the more we have the more that wars against our soul and having God, that God having our attention. And so we have the tendency, the more we have, the more distraction there is between us and God or the more barriers there are. And so James says, we should actually be humble as a result of that uh, with our riches and be more aware that our riches can actually cause a warring of the soul against God. And then in James chapter three, he speaks to how our selfish ambitions can set us up as an enemy of God. That we're all about achievement. And in this area, we love to achieve. We're hard workers here. And as a result, we tend to be a little bit more ambitious sometimes at the cost of even saying, God, well, what would you have me being ambitious for? What would you have me do? Instead, we're worried about building our own uh, careers, our own kingdoms, our own influences, and God has just asked at the end of it to bless it, which leads to what is said in James chapter four when we actually pray to God, when we've been pursuing all these things without God's direction, and then all of a sudden we say, now God, would you bless it? Would you make it happen? And God would actually look at it and say, why would I bless something that is actually separating you from me. And so then in James chapter 4 verse 13, uh, which was just spoken about 2 weeks ago, it says that the pursuit of making money at the cost of yielding to the Lord presumes the time you have here on earth. Lord willing, right? Some of us think that if we can just get the next thing, then I can do more for God, but the next thing is what's more important to us than God. And we don't even realize what our final day is. In fact, Jesus talks about the person who is rich and was like, you know what? I'm gonna tear down my barns and build bigger ones because then I can have more. Then I can take life easy and then I can kind of help God out along the way. And Jesus says, how foolish is that person because they don't even know, but that tomorrow, their day, their life is done. And then what have they done for the Lord? So James obviously has a concern here. And if you, and again, for context, he wrote this letter as the leader of the church. James was the leader top end of the church. He was the first pope, if you will, of the church. And Peter was the the person that was the mouthpiece of the church. But it was James that they would bring their disagreements to. And he would preside over the councils in Jerusalem to determine how they were gonna go forward as a church. So when James writes his letter, his heart is for the church. That early church and he has some concerns about things that are rising up in it. And he wants to address those things so that the church can remain pure before the Lord and be able to fulfill the very things that God wants to do through his church. So what's going to make the text today unique as compared to the other times that James talks about money is that today what he identifies is when being rich or the pursuit of wealth actually becomes sin. You see, in all the other texts, he identifies and gives warnings that the money can entangle your heart to things that are in opposition to God. And he gives all these warnings, but he never tells you how you get there. How is it that wealth becomes sin? Because in scripture, you will not find a single text or a single verse that says, being rich or wealthy is a sin. Okay? Okay? But it says repeatedly, there are warnings that wealth can become sin depending on how it is being leveraged and used. And today, we get a little bit of the heart behind or the motives behind when wealth and the pursuit of wealth become sinful for us. So let's begin by looking at verses two and three as to where the pursuit of wealth can become sinful. Verse two. It says, your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. Your corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded, this is the key phrase, you have hoarded wealth then in the last days. So James has just given a description that Gold and silver, now some of the early translations use the term rust, and technically gold and silver don't rust. They can corrode, but they don't rust. And and what you look at in the Greek here is it's basically they lose their shine. They lose their appeal. So gold and silver can lose a little bit of that shine and that appeal when you see that it's being used for something not so good. In fact, it can become a turnoff. So there's a point where a rich person, that their wealth begins to not look so appealing because it disgusts you how it's being used. And the key is that word hoarding. So when is it that our clothes begin to rot and not look so appealing? When is it that our our wealth begins to be looked upon as like, maybe that's not something I want. The key is that hoarding. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So what James is saying then is that wealth or the pursuit of wealth becomes sin when our motives are more driven and impassioned for what wealth brings, having more and more rather than how we can use it or leverage it for God's purposes. So hoarding then was like, okay, you've got a, real, you've got a nice car that can take you anywhere you need to go. But it's like, you know what? If I, if I just keep earning some money, I can have an even nicer car to do that in right? Or that house, it's like, it's a very functional house, but it's like, but I can have an even bigger house. You know, and and sometimes we just keep going and and we do it at the cost of ever stopping and saying, how can I use what I have for God's purposes? Now, I'm going to speak here very transparently. One of the reasons why this is a difficult thing for me to speak to is because I don't have the greatest history in regards to giving. Only in the last 15 years can I say that I have honored God, I believe, well with my money. Prior to that and for the first 15 years of doing ministry, I would say I sinned with what I had received. Now, I was a youth pastor during those years. I wasn't making a lot of money. And that's the challenge is because I was a youth pastor in some very wealthy and affluent areas. I lived in Hershey for six years. Hershey has a lot of affluency. I lived in the West Shore area. West Shore area has a lot of affluency. As a youth pastor, I wasn't able to drive as nice of cars as the people I was working with. I wasn't able to have as big a house as the people I was working with. So you know what I did with God? I was like, you know what? God, I'm not paid as much as I could be paid if I was out doing secular work, so I don't feel like I have to tithe. And I will tithe a little bit because I know I should probably give some. So I didn't tithe very well. And as a result, I I wasn't honoring God, and, and my fist became very closed with the money I did have. And it wasn't like I was rich, but I was rich compared to the rest of the world, and let me tell you, when you travel the other places of the world, we are a wealthy people. If you're hearing my voice right now, we are wealthy. Now, varying degrees of wealth, but in regards to the world, we're wealthy. And so when you look at this and you see it's like, okay, our wealth can become sin. I'm telling you, when I made a lot less than what I did now, I was at a bad place with money. I had my fist like this. It's like, God, you can use me any way you want but I'm sacrificing a lot to do what you want, so I'm gonna hold on to my money. And I rationalized it away because it's like, you know, I'm serving God in a pretty affluent area, I can't do all things others can do. And so I tried to do as much as I can to be able to live as fun as I can at the cost of giving God what I should be doing and giving to him. We're told about the 10%, you know, just 10% right off the top. Just give it back to God. That's what we're told about tithing. But in the end of the day, that's not generosity. That's just tithing. Everything we have is from God, right? But we can rationalize ourselves as to why we shouldn't tithe 10% or why we shouldn't be generous beyond our 10%. uh, And we can convince ourselves of a lot of things. Ultimately, if you're gonna be honest, what we have said is, God, you can have me but you can't have my money. And that's where I was at. And as a result, you can imagine that for those years, there were a lot of things that didn't go so well for us financially. It was difficult. And I would say that it wasn't until we started honoring God with money that money no longer was a fearful point for us. And those things happened before I was ever a senior pastor and and God began to convict some things and now there's a lot more liberty and joy. But as I go through this text, I'm reminded about how easy it is to convince ourselves that our money is not a threat. And God clearly says otherwise it can be a threat to our souls so we have to handle it carefully so i would say the first sin i can understand it's like you know again that hoarding it's like having as much as you can and always wanting to have more and in my case it's like i just want to be able to drive something that looks as nice as everybody else around me i want to have a nice house that i can invite some of those people to my home and they think wow really nice house like there was just so much that my eyes were on and again Not having a nice home and a nice car. Nothing wrong with it. But when your heart's all about it and it's not under God's leadership, it becomes sin. And it was definitely that in my life. Look at verse four. There's another way that sin kind of shows up in our wealth and our pursuit of wealth. Verse four says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So we can sin in our pursuit of wealth when we pursue wealth with methods that are not glorifying to God. The way we pursue our wealth can be an offense to God. Again, reiterate, there is not a sin to be wealthy or to be rich, because we're all there. We have a wealth, varying degrees of wealth here in this room, but we're all there. We have wealth. But when we get there by doing things that are not glorifying to God, or at the cost of others being able to do well, we're not honoring the Lord with our money and it's starting to become sin for us. Now, this is clearly speaking to somebody that actually pays people. They have a business and and those under them. Meanwhile, the business owner is making out like a bandit, doing really well. Meanwhile, those that work for him are just getting enough to make ends meet. Is that the best way for us to grow? When is it enough for the business owner? When is it enough that they can also then help others be able to enjoy uh, the blessing of how well the company is doing? I mean, that's what he's speaking to is that some, is like, be as stingy as we can. And that's one of the things that is also inherent to this area. It's like, you work hard for yourself and you'll honor, you'll get honor. And so we try to do business dealings around here where it's like we get the most as we can and we don't care how hard and stingy it gets towards another person. Stinginess is a character trait of our region. It's just, it's about our own profits. We're reluctant to be generous as it might hinder our profits. So again, again, what if we took a, a different perspective, that our way of pursuing wealth was not only, yes, so that we can continue to grow the businesses and be able to provide for our families, and yes, to be able to enjoy what, the, the fruit of our labors, but what if we did it and we're also bringing others along in that journey where they also get to provide for their households and be able to enjoy the provisions of, what, of the fruit of the company they work with? Now, some of you are saying, you know, I I don't control anybody's salary. I don't have a role of that. Maybe you're already retired. But let me suggest this. Every one of us here, even if we're no longer in a position of of control of what somebody makes or how somebody can be blessed, we are all served by somebody. Many of you today are going to go out to eat and be served by somebody, It is said that some of the worst tipping happens on Sunday. Is that a good reputation for the church to have? It's not. There should be a spirit of generosity that happens, that we treat people that work well as they serve us. So we have the ability to be a blessing to somebody who is working around us that is serving us in some way. We can be a blessing. Don't be so tight fisted. We release it and be a blessing to someone. And so, again, we can sin and can enter into the pursuit of wealth when our motives are driven by more of what we can keep bringing to ourselves and when our methods, then, so our motives and methods are not glorifying to God. Thirdly, verse five, look what it says it says, You have lived on earth in luxury and self indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So what it's saying there is that we sin in our pursuit of wealth when we are all about indulgence. We're about uh, receiving so we can do more and then get that bigger trip and get that that bigger uh, opportunities going ahead and it's just indulgence and you can never get enough instead of being generous and blessing others. And he compares it to being fattened for slaughter. Now, I resonate with this because of where I grew up. I grew up in Kansas in the middle of the prairie. And there are two primary things that generate a lot of money in that region of the United States. The wheat harvest and cattle. And so our fields are loaded with cattle out there. And then... In some places, when they want them to get that extra bit of weight towards the end, they'll send their cattle to feedlots. And let me tell you, if you've never seen a feedlot, you'll smell it two or three miles before you see it. And those feedlots, those cows are the happiest cows out there. They are getting the best food, and they're getting it all day. And they're thinking, Boy, those cows that we left behind in the pasture, they don't know how much they're missing. We are getting grains here that you don't get by eating grass out in the prairie. And they think they've got it better, and they have no idea what they're being fattened for. They think they have it the best, only to discover that they are being set up for slaughter. The same thing happens Is that we live in such self-indulgence and luxury thinking, this is good. I have it better than everybody. And you don't even realize, you don't even realize it's killing you. It's setting you up for slaughter. You think you're better off than everybody else only to find out later it was a waste of effort, a waste of time. The final way we can sin in our pursuit of wealth is when our impulses become regular where we wanna discredit or harm others who stand in the way of our pursuits. It says this in verse six. says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not even opposing you. How does that ever happen that you would murder an innocent one that wasn't even opposing you? Sometimes... People get in the way. And when they get in the way, we do whatever we can to discredit or harm them so we get the raise, so that we get the attention, so that we get honored and they do not. You think, well, that seems rather extreme. None of us here are likely to murder anybody over our pursuit of wealth. But I would have to say, but wouldn't if we we were really honest don't we tend to operate sometimes in opposition of certain people, just because they're the threat to what might advance you yourself? When I was thinking through of all the movies that I watch that are action movies, drama movies, when you consider, what is the plot? What is the plot of those action or, or drama movies? And it usually is along the lines is that somebody whose desire to have, whatever the have is, the object of the having, kills someone or harms someone or takes someone that, ha- that gets in the way of what they want. And then the good guys of the movie are the ones that are gonna rescue the person that was taken or to, to bring justice to the person that was the, the harming of the other. And, and the whole movie is built around that plot. And so if that's what most of the movies are around, don't you think that there is a common plot in America and in the world that reflects that? Where we want something that we cannot have, so then somebody that has it, or is in the way of it, us getting it, that we do something to eliminate them. And sometimes it's very subtle. It's not so extreme as murder, but sometimes it's very subtle. It happens. But let me tell you where I see it often happen. Because as pastors, we get invited into broken situations. And I've seen this sin issue where wealth or the money and, and so on gets involved when you see legal separations happen in marriages. And as pastors, we're trying to help the two be cordial towards each other and hopefully bring about reconciliation. And so much of the argument and so much of the tension is built around the money. Making sure that that it's fairly distributed. It's like, that's taking too much of my hard work. And sometimes it becomes the children themselves and they become the pawns, and it's like, I want control over it. I want what, what's there. It's the same thing, and you'll do whatever you can to discredit the other person that's on the opposite side of these legal issues. We see the same root of sin showing up when we have aging parents and and the estate needs to be managed differently the parents are still alive but now the siblings need to figure out how to manage their estate and there's often a posturing with the estate to make sure that when the parents die the money goes to the right one to the right child at least for the right effort We were the ones that put the most time into helping that individual. We were the ones that did this and did that. And and it's always about comparing, to make sure that the money goes the right direction. It's a root of sin that shows up. And then the person dies. And if there's no will, oh my goodness. Families that were usually operating well together are now all of a sudden struggling because somebody got a little bit too more in their opinion than the other. Money has a way of dividing households that were once fully intact and whole. So money has a way, the pursuit of it, for getting to a place where we are now not walking in a good place with God and it becomes sin. So again, motives, methods, and then even the hoarding for just getting fatter and fatter, never having enough, and then the impulses for how we treat people can be motivated by money. These are all things where sin comes into play. And so then the question becomes, does this align with Jesus? So I want us to look at Matthew chapter six very quickly. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus speaks to the same thing, uses also same language or similar language to James. So Matthew chapter six, verse 19 and, and following, it says, Jesus speaking, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me pause there. So what Jesus talks, he uses the same language. I mean, James talks about the clothes being destroyed by moths and, and the money being corroded, the gold and the silver. And here you see that the same thing. Moths are brought up, again, talking about that'll destroy some of your possessions and your, some of your money can actually be stolen. And what Jesus says is, listen, if you have a wise mind at all, you're gonna look at your investment as one of two options. I can overinvest in the world which has the risk, all kinds of risk, of diminishing value, where I can invest in the things of God, which its value never shrinks and lasts forever. Seems like a no-brainer, right? But yet, with heavenly things, we often tend to look at those as unseen, when they're not always unseen. People are things that can go into eternity. And so those are the eternal things we can invest in. People, not money. Money doesn't go with us to heaven. Clothes don't go with us to heaven. But people can and will go into eternity and many of them will go into heaven and most will not. So what do we have here? Is that Jesus is saying, listen, your, the evidence of where you're investing will be obvious. By the way, your eyes are set on treasures. So your treasure will be obvious. If it's people and things that are internal, God himself, you're gonna see that that investment will show up. In fact, he goes on in verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then, if then, light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because Jesus knows that wherever your eyes are set as your prize, that's where your investments are going. Whatever is the appeal to your eyes, that's where your investments are going. And you're going to give a lot of effort to wherever your eyes are set. And so, if your eyes are set on things that are self indulgent or attaining, that's all earthly based, then you are going to die and go into heaven absolutely broke. In fact, going back to the lost sheep lost coin and lost son stories of last week the lost coin's a fascinating parable in it because what you see is that what was of value to the person the woman that was looking for her two lost coins was that that was two days worth of food for her and and for her she only had 10 days worth of food to begin with And so, two of those days all of a sudden went away. That's too much to give up. And so, what did she do? She tore the whole house apart to try to find those two coins. So, if something is of value to you, whatever the value of what is lost to you will determine the effort you give in searching for it. And so, the question becomes are you looking for the things that God says are eternal? Or are you more fixed with your eyes upon that which we can see here on this earth? And it's all about things, not the people that are around you that are eternally going into that part of life. They they are eternally bound. So then what does Jesus do in light of these things? So wherever your eyes are set, there's where your heart's going to be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So what's his final statement? He says, verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Both require your Devotion. And whatever you're devoted to, the other is gonna be the one you despise. So my question is, as I'm preaching this message, are you feeling a little ruchy in the chair? Because if you are, that's likely because you're feeling a little bit despised by the fact that James brings it up again, our money. And it's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable because maybe your devotion's in the wrong place. God is bringing this up because he knows what money can do for us. It can become the root of so much in our lives that can misguide us. Because it's fun. And trust me, I understand. Like, I enjoy having a nice home. I enjoy having cars and vehicles that can take me places. And they're nice vehicles. I mean, they're not the most expensive out there and I certainly don't live in the biggest house. But when I go and travel to other places of the world, I realize, my goodness. My closet is as big as some of their homes. When is enough enough where we start thinking more creatively about generosity? So what do we do? We've just identified where methods, motives, overindulgence, how we treat other people is when our wealth becomes sinful for us. So how do we redeem it? We're wealthy, We're not gonna just all all of a sudden take the vow of poverty and sell everything and live on the streets of our local cities and towns. So how can we redeem the wealth that we have and use it to God's glory? So the first thing we have to do is do some assessments. The first thing we need to assess is our motive. When you think in terms of the money you earn, what is your end game? When you think of what you're earning it for, what is your end game? Let it be telling to you. Secondly, assess the methods by how you're earning money. Are you earning money in a way that brings glory to God? Just ask. Ask God to speak into you. Are there things that you're doing in the way you're earning your money that doesn't bring glory to him and blesses other people? And thirdly, this is a simple thing to say but very, very, very difficult to do. Surrender control of your wealth to Jesus take the double-fisted, white-knuckled feel and do this. Say, God, what I have is yours. How would you want me to use it to your glory? Some of the most generous people I know are extremely wealthy. And they don't care how much they have and how much more they could do with their money. They're very giving of it. I have benefited from their generosity many times. Those people are beautiful. And that's why I believe God keeps blessing them even though they're like, it's not about what they have. They keep trying to do as more and more that they can with what God has given them to bless others. And what does God do is like, that's a person that I wanna see because they know how to handle money and I'm gonna keep helping them be a blessing to others. But they went through somewhere along the line, this place where they, they said, God, what I have is yours. And lastly, this is the, a difficult one again for me. Ask God how we can pay forward our blessings today. Today. God, how can I be a blessing to others? How can I be generous towards others today? And then when I hear from the Lord and if I'm obedient to that, when I wake up tomorrow, repeat. God, how can I pay forward today your blessings? How can I be generous? Because what I've discovered, and, I, and I, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, this statement I believe is so true. Every generous act loosens the grip that money can have on our hearts. Every time I do something that I know is gonna be costly, because again, I don't have that natural instinct to wanna just give freely. It's always a one finger at a time, peeling it away, loosening the grip that I'm willing to be generous. And then people say, that was very generous of you, and they have no idea. I had to work to come to a place of submission to even do that generous act. But every time I do, I find that that grip that money had on my heart is loosened. God loves a generous giver. This message isn't about don't be wealthy. That would be nearly impossible in our context. But this message is in our wealth. Let's be generous. In our wealth, let's be generous. Let's not let money rule our hearts so that we can be a blessing to those God is working in. Will you pray with me? So God, I trust that you are working in all of our hearts. We're all in need of it, myself included, to make sure that money doesn't grip our hearts where we are unfaithful, blinded, and bloated. So speak to us, Lord, as we assess In your mercy and grace, give us vision of how we can be generous towards others. And that we can bring others along to where they can enjoy the fruits of their labors as well. May you get glory and honor by how we handle the many blessings you've given to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: Amen. Let's stand, set our eyes on the provider and fulfiller of all riches.
0: So first of all, let me just say, we should be grateful for what God has given us. There's nothing to apologize for that we have been so fully blessed being where we're at. But where we might have to apologize is maybe that with the blessings we receive, we haven't paid it forward. And this isn't a message about shaming wealth or shaming money, but it is a message to say, but we've been given so much. Can we not be more generous and kind? And I am not, it's not my job to tell you how to be generous. That's where I get to point you to Jesus. If you go to Jesus and you let him work on your heart and you release to him what you have, he will then direct you, here's how I want you to use your wealth, what I have given you. To his glory, he will direct your steps. I just wanna keep pointing you to Jesus and that he desires you to be grateful and being willing to pay it forward. So having said that, if you would like to have a discussion with someone about Jesus and how this can, he can help you with this maybe aspect of your life, or you just have, it's like, man, this grip is so tight. I just need prayer over me to be able to release it. Uh, We'll have people in the encounter room that will be glad to pray with you, over you, and hear out what maybe your concerns are. I'll be up front as well. Be glad to talk to you because Jesus is the one that can redeem these things. Uh, Our efforts are always gonna fall short, but he can help us. And to that end, may we be generous today, tomorrow, and the days following. Amen? Go and be the hands and feet of Jesus by blessing those you interact with.